You're listening to Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 51, airing on August 20th, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to improve themselves so they can better engage and develop others. Whether you're a seasoned leader or leading people for the first time, improving your leadership skills will drive your success, and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic, how storytelling helps you lead. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coaching for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I'm coming to you from our studio out here in Orange County, California. And we are entering our second year now of the Coaching for Leaders show. We had our uh, one-year anniversary episode number 50 last week, and I am thrilled to welcome our guest today to kick off our next year of Coaching for Leaders, who is going to help teach us how storytelling can help you to lead. And I invited our guest who is here today um, because I was thinking about her recently and thinking about the episode that we aired a few weeks back, episode number 49, on how to lead without having a formal title. And so we had talked about that. And um, our guest today is someone who I really consider to be a not only a dear friend, but also really a tremendous leader in a number of capacities. And I'll tell you about her in just a minute. Um, and so I think that she's someone that really is a, a expert and a wonderful teacher and mentor for us on how to utilize storytelling in a leadership capacity. And if, if questions are the language of coaches, stories are the language of leaders. And that's why it's important for us as leaders to really be able to utilize storytelling effectively in order to connect with a message. And my guest today is Sandy Morgan. Sandy Morgan has been a dear friend of uh, Bonnie and me for, gosh, uh, Sandy, how long have we known each other? Six, seven years now, probably. Uh, And Uh, Sandy is the director of the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University, which is in Costa Mesa, California. And uh, the reason that um, I know Sandy is uh, not only are we friends, but I also sit on the board of the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard. And so Sandy and I have been working together over the last year and a half. And in addition to this podcast, I don't think I've mentioned this on uh, this Mm. show, Sandy, but in addition to the Coaching for Leaders show, Sandy and I also produce a show together uh, called Ending Human Trafficking, and it is a podcast that is syndicated globally on iTunes and uh, through the Global Center for Women and Justice website. And our mission is to really reach out to others and to help end the issue of human trafficking. And um, I know that there's probably a number of you in our audience that are wondering, well, what is human trafficking? And, you know, um, like many people, my assumption is that slavery ended in the United States in 1862 when Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, Sandy. And I was under that belief until I met you uh, a number of years ago. And it's a really actually important time for us to be talking about this because next month, September 2012, is the 150th anniversary of the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. And 
Yet slavery still exists in our world, and it actually still exists here in America, despite our belief that it ended 150 years ago. And so before even talking about storytelling, I'm wondering if, you know, for those who aren't already aware of this issue, how is it that slavery is still present in our world? And in particularly, how is it still present today in America? Well, we understand that human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and it exists because of greed. It's driven by the law of supply and demand, and someone who wants to make money will find the product that a buyer is willing to purchase. And if that means that you're going to have a slave that is working on a cocoa plantation so that um, people can buy cheap chocolate— And literally, there are over 280,000 children who are slaves on cocoa plantations in West Africa so that people can buy cheap chocolate. So we talk about um, this issue, and people are heartbroken when they realize this impacts children, but we also see it impacting families when women and men are slaves in brick kilns or in domestic servitude right here in America. And then the other type of trafficking that we hear probably more about is sex trafficking. Mm. And people are commercially sexually exploited so that somebody can make money. Commercial is a business. And so when we talk about that, it seems like such a huge issue. And I find that storytelling helps bring it down to one story that I can get my head around, one person's experience And if I can see it through that person's eyes, then I'm going to better be able to engage and figure out what my part and my role is in fighting human trafficking. Mm. And for those of us that may not be able to get our minds around this in our audience, what's an example or a story of someone that has unfortunately been caught up in this that would help us to maybe understand a little bit more of what How does this actually play out? How does this happen in today's society? Well, when I was working in Athens, Greece, and was working on women's issues, I began to understand human trafficking by volunteering at the Doctors of the World shelter. And one young woman's story really stood out to me, and we'll call her Maria. I want to protect her identity, but I want you to understand this is a real person. This is not a made-up story. And Maria's story is like many other victims of modern-day slavery. When she was 17, graduated from high school in the Ukraine, she was actually at the top of her class. Mm. There's kind of the sense of, well, you must not be very smart if you get pulled and sucked into um, human trafficking. But she was smart, and she was also desperate and running out of options. Her father had died in one of the conflicts. Her mother and eight-year-old brother were depending on her to become the breadwinner, and there were no jobs. The Soviet Union had collapsed. And so when she and her friends saw an ad in the local paper that they were interviewing for jobs in the tourist industry in Greece, Mm -hmm. in this next big city, they got on the bus, they stood in line, they waited to be interviewed, they filled out job applications, just like if you were going to apply for any job right here in America. And they were, they were official. She filled out all the information that would include things like your social security number, your address, and because you're taking a job out of the country, then you're next of kin. So she gave her mother's information as well. 
At the end of the day, she was thrilled that she was one of 20 girls chosen for this job in Mm. Greece. After a couple of weeks, she got ready to leave on the appointed travel date. She told her mom, I'm going to send half the money to you and half I'm going to save to go to nursing school. And you know, Dave, I'm a nurse. So that really touched my heart. She had hopes and she had dreams and she had responsibility to take care of her family. She showed up on the appointed travel day, gave all of her legitimate documents to the travel coordinator. And we know he's the bad guy. He's actually the trafficker. And sometimes the trafficker is a woman, sometimes a man. They took the train, um, they took a ferry across the Black Sea, ended up on a bus then that took them to a little hotel on the um, border of Greece and Turkey. And that was on the Turkish side. And they put each of the girls in a dingy little room. And Maria tells us that after about five minutes, the door burst open and four men dressed in police uniforms, not necessarily because they were law enforcement, but to break down her trust of authority. Four men gang raped her. Mm. And the next morning, her wrist, her ankles, her mouth were duct taped. She was placed in the false bottom of a little car and driven across into Greece, where for the next 20, 22 months, she was sold every single day. And when we ask her, why couldn't you escape? She said, they knew where my mother and my eight-year-old brother was. And they said, we will go get your eight-year-old brother. There's a market for him too. So she had to stay. And that story um, gives this issue a a real person's face. Mm -hmm. And it helps you understand the difficult decisions that someone makes and then why they can't seem to escape when you don't see chains and handcuffs and locked doors. And that illustrates then the elements of human trafficking of um fraud, somebody offered you a job that didn't exist, playing to your hope for a better future, force, the brutalization, the duct tape, um, and then coercion, the threats about what will happen if you don't comply. And there's the lesson on human trafficking in one story. Wow. I, I think anyone that would hear a story like that, Sandy, would be captivated by it just because it is such a tragic story but also is a story that i think has elements that many of us could relate to and even being Mm -hmm. in that situation ourselves depending on where we grew up and the circumstances of what was going on in the country and political climate of where we were at particular times um how do you use stories to connect with people because of course you are traveling around the world I'm, i'm thinking of just some of the countries you've been to in the last few months. Uh, you, I know you've been to Zambia, you've been to Iraq, uh, you've, I don't know where else you've been this year. <laughs> it seems like every time I'm talking with you or you're getting on a plane somewhere. Um, how do you utilize stories to really make that connection? Well, I want to use stories so that people have some sort of an emotional response so that they have some buy-in. Hmm. Um, experience and but also structure. Um, I want them to be able to hang the things they need to remember on the elements of that story. And so the timeline of the story and when this happened and when that happened, help people um, remember the elements. If I just told you, well, there's three elements to human trafficking, force, fraud, and coercion. 
Um, and I ask you tomorrow, what are the three elements of human trafficking? Mm-hmm. You may not remember, but you will remember this is what happened to Maria and somehow what happened to her embodies all three elements that define human trafficking um, as modern day slavery. Mm-hmm. So it, the structure and as well as um, understanding the purpose. And, and I think... Um, one story often leads to another story. I, I did some training for attorneys up in um, Los Angeles last week. And at the end of an hour, someone um, had actually charted how many stories I had told. Oh, really? And I had told four stories in a in the less than an hour teaching time. And uh, of course, Maria's story was one of those. Sure. But one of the stories... Be that I told because as soon as someone comes face to face with this really awful, um, horrendous crime, and and realize that it's taking advantage of innocent seventeen year old little girl from um, a family that really needs her, uh, they can begin to feel really overwhelmed. So I I have a slide, and unfortunately you can't see the picture, mm-hmm. but I'll describe it for you. I have um, um, a memory, and I took pictures when I went to the island of Crete. I went to the palace, and in the um, the palace pantry down in the kitchen, they had these giant size jugs called pithari, and in fact, the size of it would hold a thousand liters of grain or olive oil, and in fact just to give you an idea of how big it was, I could stand up in inside of it and I'm five foot one and a half inches when it's I'm a, standing up tall. It's a large pot. That's though. right. I could yeah. stand up inside of it. Wow. And the people in that region in Nosos were not large people. They were probably uh, not any taller than I am. So how were they going to move this pithari, this big um, earthenware jug from the field where they collected uh, the harvest to the palace pantry. Mm. Well, the person that designed that big jug was really smart and put handles all over it from the top to the bottom and all the way around at the wide circumference at the narrow area. And 10 or 15 people could grab a hold and carry very, very um, securely their part of the Pithari vessel. Mm. And that is a picture of how we have to fight human trafficking. We each have to figure out what our handhold is on this really big issue and carry our part of it. And as part of a team, part of an army, part of a community, we can make a difference. You know, I, I really want to acknowledge what you've said there, Sandy, and the power of that. Uh, that's actually the first time I had heard you talk about that story, but I had heard about it through someone else who had heard you tell about that story with the pot. Actually, I think it was Bonnie. Oh. And the lesson that we can't all do it alone around an issue like human trafficking, we can't, not one person can end human trafficking, that each person has to have their piece, their handle. And that was actually part of the reason that when I heard that story that I thought about 
originally approaching you about us doing a podcast on ending human trafficking mm. because I realized that I didn't, part of the reason we, I never helped originally when I first met you is I didn't even know where to start. Like it's such a huge issue. It's like, where do you even start on an issue this big? And it really can be overwhelming to even start on something like that. But then when I heard that story, um, I realized, wow, there's something I can do. There's one little handle I can grab onto in helping you get your message out across the world and to do it through podcasting. And what a neat opportunity to do that. And I think it's it's an important thing because what I didn't even hear the story. Wow. And the power of the story of being able to send a message and that other people will then share that story is for me, really powerful. Well, the story is designed to make it approachable so that everybody can do something. Mm -hmm. But it also um, challenges because it, it implies that if everyone can do something, then everyone should do something. Mm. So there is a responsibility that goes with it. Yeah, sure. Well, and that, that's, that's interesting you say that because that was part of my reasoning too for getting involved. For you, what are the key elements of an effective story? I think that your story has to have a really solid structure. And given um, a solid structure, it's just like the person. Remember, I'm a nurse, so mm -hmm. I think of a skeleton. There's a head and um, uh, a backbone and arms and legs. And then you can flesh out what that story looks like based on who the people are in front of you that you're trying to communicate with. And if I'm talking to a group of attorneys, that story is probably going to have a slightly different look than if I'm talking to a group of high school students. Mm, so audience is key, audience what the audience would key, resonate with. What they need to learn from this. And and that's the, that's the other thing. I'm not telling the story just to be telling a story. I have a goal in mind. I know where I want to land with that story. Mm. I know when I tell Maria's story, um, and this is a real person that I remember, mm -hmm. that I'm not just telling her story. I'm landing on these three elements. And I want a room full of attorneys, a room full of police officers um, to understand these are the elements of a crime. And if you find these three things, you have this crime and you can investigate and prosecute. Oh, That's interesting. what I'm trying to land on. So you have to have structure and you have to know where you're going to land with your story. So you as a leader have your three elements of trafficking, the force, fraud, and coercion that you and I have talked about mm -hmm. on our podcast before. And you're really designing not designing a story, but choosing the story that's going to connect with getting that message across. You may not use those three words in the story, but that gets that message across. So it's almost as a leader, you have already thought through first the message you want to send, and then you've thought about it in the framework of how is the audience going to best get that message. Exactly, exactly. Uh -huh. And we, we know from um, teaching that in fact, in educational psychology, that if someone can attach principles and vocabulary to a narrative, they're going to have more retention than if it's just isolated and not connected. So a story connects um, principles and purpose to an issue, and your learners are going to retain that. 
and they're going to actually be more, um, um, not exactly sure the right word to use, but proud of what they've learned, mm. uh, feeling more accomplished because they um, do a better job remembering and they, they feel smarter. I've got this now. Mm-hmm. I've got this. And they, when you go back and talk to them months and months later, um, they're still using the tool of Maria's story. Mm. And they're using it or a similar story when they begin, then become the teachers to teach others. You, I think, more so than many people I know, um, have a tremendously powerful set of stories and also are in situations a lot where you can't really tell people what to do. You have Ah. to influence um, because you run a center that essentially is a nonprofit. It raises its own money. You have to get support. You have to get buy-in and work with so many other different agencies and folks in the community. And boy, I don't envy the job you have, Sandy, but you do it so gracefully. And so I'm curious from your perspective, when's the right time for you to use storytelling? And then the larger question, what's the right time for leaders to use storytelling in general? Mm, That's a really good question. When I think about um, using a story, I consider my audience first. Mm -hmm. And if they came there for the purpose of getting information, uh, I'm not going to start off with a story because particularly I teach um, a lecture on human trafficking for public health nursing classes at Vanguard. Mm. And at the beginning, these these are nurses. They are trained to to um, gather the facts, find out what the signs and symptoms are, go there. So I start with what they need to know, um, but then I want to use it to um, build retention and build context for what they're um, what they need to learn from this this particular class. So I'll use a story to reinforce um, a teaching moment. I also use story to introduce an issue. So for instance, Mm. I will often in a public setting where the audience is brand new, it's a community awareness event, I'll lead with a story just like Maria's story because I want to introduce the issue. And then, so I go from the global idea of this is, human trafficking, and these are the elements down to um, more specific. So I start with a story to engage Mm. that community and get their buy-in so that they're going to be willing to learn um, what is force, fraud, and coercion. Mm. And then finally, um, I use a story to close because just summarizing what I just taught, you know, the old age old, tell me what you are going to say, tell me what you Mm -hmm. said, and now tell me again. Um, that is, is really going to be most effective if you can close with a story that leaves your audience, your listener, your team, um, challenged and engaged and responsible for going to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so connecting and challenging, um, at a closing event, a closing message, a closing, um, plenary session. I love to use a story. And one of the worst habits people have when they use a story is they explain it to people, which people do not need you to explain the story to them. 
um, when I tell... Or if they do, it wasn't a very good story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you got to be able to close with the story and walk away and believe that uh, they are going to get it. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close with a story that I think is a really powerful story for leaders that I've heard you tell before. But before we do that, I'd, uh, I'm sure that there are people in our audience that uh, are first learning to this issue because of our conversation and may want to learn more about it and find more about it. So one thing I'm going to suggest for our listeners is that if this is something you have an interest in and would like to learn more about is to check out our podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, and Sandy and I do a podcast that airs every other week. Unlike this show that airs weekly, we air this one, uh, the Ending Human Trafficking podcast every week, or every other week, rather. And so you can find that by, by going, if you're an iTunes user, you can go into iTunes and just search for Ending Human Trafficking. You will find us. And you can also find it through the webpage for the Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University. And that webpage is gcwj.vanguard.com. Dot edu. And as I mentioned, uh, Sandy is the director of the center. And Sandy, would you um, like to mention other another resource or maybe something about the Ensure Justice Conference that's uh, coming up later this year? Sure. Or we next year, rather? A, we hold a, um offer an annual conference called Ensure Justice, and we invite the community to that. And this is our way of giving back to our community at Vanguard and equipping our community to respond with best practices, promising practices. Um, our mantra is study the issues, be a voice, make a difference. But if you don't study the issues first, you might say the wrong thing and you certainly might do the wrong thing. So we bring the best voices. Our Ensure Justice 2013 will be on cyber exploitation and how to protect your kids from being recruited by a a trafficker that will um, exploit them. Commercial sexual exploitation of children is a huge issue here in America. And we've got podcasts on that. And um, you can download them and listen while you're doing your morning walk. And then it will help you become um, more acquainted with the issue so you will know what to say and what to do. And you're all invited to register and come to Ensure Justice in March 8th and 9th, 2013 at Vanguard University. And you can find information on that at insurejustice.com if you'd like more information about the conference. Uh, Sandy, one of the things that I hear from leaders on occasion uh, or people who want to lead and don't feel like they can is they'll say, I, I don't have anything to offer. I can't lead. I don't have the right gifts. I love your story on uh, of you in the surgery room that oh, you tell. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think that's a great story for leaders to hear. And I wonder if you'd close sure. with that story. Um, well, you already know I'm not very tall. And yeah. um, I remember uh, when I was growing up that I tried to do a lot of things that all my friends did, and I didn't do them very well. I also... Um, was injured at birth and so my left eye doesn't work quite the same as my right eye so i have no depth perception mm. and i used to play want to play softball i wanted to play in sports and and i would try to catch a softball and i'd be in the wrong place and it would land in my face instead of in my hands mm. and my mother wanted me to play piano so she started me in piano lessons and i'll never forget the day my piano teacher told me um that i was 
never going to be a great pianist because mm. my hands were too small. Oh, I, poor thing. I was 14. I was as tall as I was going to be. And I still couldn't hit an octave. If you can't do an octave, how are you going to play the piano? And she had just assigned Moonlight Sonata, which is full of tenths. And she was as frustrated as I was, and I was in tears. Mm. And so then when you fast forward to um, I'm scrubbed in on a cancer case for a 43-year-old dad with three children, and I'm in the operating room with two of my favorite surgeons, and I loved surgery, Dave, because you could cut out what was the matter. You could cut out what was wrong and get rid of it, and everybody could live happily ever after. It was great. And so I loved my job, and I was excited when we got the report back that this man's esophageal cancer, the margins were clear, and we could sew him up. And he was going to survive and raise his kids. But when we started to sew him up, you know, the esophagus is that tube where when you put food in your mouth, it goes down to your stomach. And that's behind a lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we had to use these great big retractors that were affectionately called Joe's Ho. And those retractors held everything back so that the surgeon, who was a wonderful uh, tailor, I guess, because it was a male, um, the surgeon, uh, he needed us to hold everything back so he could sew that tube back together very, very delicately. But the man's heart went into the wrong kind of rhythm. It began to fibrillate. And the anesthesiologist yelled, stop, stop. And we had to stop while he got his heart back under um, control and regulated. And so we're standing there waiting. Okay, now you can go again. So we put the retractors back in. We pull uh, to make it wide enough again. And we're just about to start again. And again, the alarms all go off. Dr. Lee says, stop, stop. Um, And we stopped. And when we tried it the third time, the surgeon said, hmm, wait a minute. And he took my hand and he said, this looks about the right size. And so he told the assistant surgeon to trade places with me and they brought and they had to move my stool so I could reach the the site, mm-hmm. um, around on the other side. And I'll never forget the surgeon took my hand, placed it down into the area where he needed to work to sew that esophagus back together. And he placed the man's heart in my hand and said, now just pull gently to the side so I can see what I'm doing. And I'm there holding a man's heart in my hand and it's going ka-plump, ka-plump, ka-plump. And I had just the right size hand. The assistant surgeon didn't. I was exactly the right person in the right place at the right time. And I'm happy to report that we completed the surgery and the man was returned to his family to go on and raise his kids. But that's the last time I ever said I can't do something because I'm not this and I'm not that. I was exactly what was needed right then. My hand was exactly the right size. And I believe that all of us, when we look at ourselves and we feel like we're not adequate, 
We're not this, we're not that. We have to remember that there is one place and it may not have happened in your life yet or it, you may be able to say, oh, I remember when and you're going to have your own story to tell. But all of us, all of us have a place and we need to be ready because um, I believe that human trafficking is um, so connected to God's heart for justice that literally all of us hold God's heart in our hands and we have to be ready to do our part to end human trafficking. Sandy Morgan is a professor at Vanguard University, the director of the Global Center for Women and Justice, which I am honored to serve on, and a dear friend, and as you now know, a great storyteller. Sandy, thanks for being here on Coaching for Leaders. Thanks for having me. If you are a leader, you may have made the mistake that I've made before when I've jumped into new leadership roles or opportunities in feeling like I needed to be the person when I walked into the room or walked into the leadership opportunity that I had all the answers and that I was the smartest person in the room and felt a lot of pressure to really deliver in that way as a leader. And I've learned again and again and again in a leadership capacity that if I can step back and surround myself with people who will be my teachers, my coaches, and my mentors, that I'm going to be so much more informed and directed as a leader than I would be if I tried to pretend that I know everything myself. And that's one of the reasons that I'm so grateful to not only be friends with, but get an opportunity to work with Sandy Morgan in her efforts to end human trafficking and what she's doing through the Global Center for Women and Justice. Uh, anytime that Sandy and I sit down to record one of the Ending Human Trafficking podcasts, I always learn something. And in fact, not only do I always learn something, I usually learn a whole bunch of things. And I'm both always you know, very moved and and certainly disheartened by so much that is going on in human trafficking in our world. And at the same time, I'm also always so uh, excited and thrilled to see how many passionate people are out there who care about reaching out to others and ending this real tragedy we have going on in our world right now. And if uh, either you've been touched by Sandy's story uh, and the story she's told here uh, on this episode, or you'd like to learn a little more about this issue if it's not something you've been exposed to before, I'd really encourage you to uh, check uh, out that podcast. Uh, I mentioned, I think, earlier that it airs every other week, and so Sandy and I air it every other Thursday. Uh, you can go on to iTunes, just search for Ending Human Trafficking. You'll find the show and all the episodes there. You can also go to the Vanguard University website for the Global Center for Women and Justice. That website is gcwj.vanguard.edu. And I will, of course, have a link to that in the show notes. And speaking about show notes and just our topics for this show, uh, you may have noticed over the last couple of episodes here, I've done a little bit of a slight shift in our future, our show's topics. Uh, if you've been listening to this uh, series of uh, shows over the last six or seven months uh, for Coaching for Leaders, you may have noticed that one of the things I was 
uh, focused on doing and planning to do was to have, you know, topics in series of shows. So to have, you know, a series of episodes, you know, maybe four or five or six episodes, for example, we did on personality and then, you know, another four or five or six episodes on presentation skills. And I've decided to step away from that for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all is I was finding my my tendency, I think, to spend too much time on some of those topics and to the point where I was finding that I was not as captivated with the material that I was talking about as I probably should have been. And so um, so that's one thing that was kind of going through my mind as I was doing one of the last series. And then I also was very grateful to get some feedback from uh, one of our listeners and who had said to me, hey, you know, I'd, I really, and I love the series of episodes, um, but I really love it when there's something new every week. There's really a new topic, something new that I can kind of jump into um, and it keeps it new, it keeps it fresh, it keeps it exciting, That's and that may be something you want to consider. And as soon as uh, he said that, I thought, you know what, that's exactly where I think I'm going to go next. And so I uh, wanted to say that because what my plan here is to, you know, uh, hey, I'm always learning too, and, uh, you know, 50 episodes in here, I, I think I'm just, just barely scratching the surface of what there is to learn of hosting a podcast on the internet. Man, let me tell you, I mean, you know, so much learning and growth for me over the last year. And so this starting our second year, uh, I'm going to sh- change things up here a little bit and go with a different topic each week. And I'd love to hear your feedback on that. If that's something you think is working over the next couple episodes, or maybe if you like that idea now, uh, by all means, hop on to the website, coachingforleaders.com. Leave me a message on that. I'd like to hear. If you think that's a horrible idea and you hate it and want me to go back to focusing on three or four shows around the same topic, I'd really like to hear that too. Uh, maybe I'm wrong and uh, maybe that's the way to go. So let me know what you think. Love to get your feedback. And uh, in, in speaking of that, I did get an email from one of our listeners, Tom, uh, this past week, who was asking me about you know some advice on how to handle complaining when you get complaining from people you're leading. And so guess what? That's going to be episode number 52 next week. Uh, I'm going to spend some time talking about how do you handle the complaining, especially when you're hearing a lot of complaining from one person, and what are some good strategies and tools to use as a leader around that. So Definitely stay tuned for episode number 52 next week. And before I let you go this week, I do want to say another thank you. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that if anyone out there had listened to all 50 shows of Coaching for Leaders so far, and uh, although I think I actually said 60 shows on the episode last week, we're not quite that far along, uh, but we did have our one-year anniversary on last week's episode 50. And uh, I had mentioned uh, Stefan had listened to all 50 episodes, and Sandrine Dupreez from Mexico had emailed me this week and said, hey, I've listened to all 50 episodes as well, too. So I wanted to say thank you so much, Sandrine. Uh, I actually haven't even replied to her email yet. I've been so busy doing other things this week, but Sandrine... So thrilled to have had you as, to have you as a listener, and I was blessed to be able to talk with Sandrine over the phone uh, about four or five months ago. Had a great conversation with her, and I'm so pleased to have such a wonderful listener down south. So, Sandrine, thank you, and I hope that you'll continue to listen. I know that you will, and I look forward to keeping in touch very much. And also a thank you to Eric, Kim. 
Kathy, Sandrine, Evelina, Gary, Jennifer, Bill, Grace, and a whole bunch of other folks that I didn't get uh, names from who subscribe to our newsletter from last week's episode. We do now have our email newsletter up and running. If you would like to subscribe, you will also get my video and downloadable book list on 10 books that will make you a better leader. If you'd like to get that and get our newsletter, go to coachingforleaders.com forward slash subscribe. Again, coachingforleaders.com forward slash subscribe, and it'll take you from there. Hey, the link to the show notes for this episode is at coachingforleaders.com forward slash 51. This show airs every Monday. And remember, wherever you are in the world, whatever's on your agenda today, take one idea from this show to engage and develop someone you lead. Take care, everybody.